everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed therapist here in California, and uh, I specialize in the treatment of anxiety and OCD, uh, anxiety spectrum disorders, just uh, um, stuff that you can be afraid of. And uh, that's kind of my thing. It's kind of what I enjoy treating. So uh, if this is the first time uh, that you've listened to the FearCast, um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for finding us, uh, however you found us. Uh, to all my old listeners, uh, if you like the show, um, give us a review. Give me a, a, a little rating over at iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts. It greatly helps uh, this show. But if you're new to the show... My goal for each episode is to go over a little bit of information about a specific type of OCD, um, uh, talk a little bit about treatment, talk a little bit about how uh, uh, one can work through this uh, work through this element of anxiety or that specific manifestation of anxiety, and try to figure out a way to eventually get your life back, however that's going to look, however that's going to be, um, but ultimately to illustrate that OCD and anxiety is not a death sentence. It's not um, going to. It doesn't have to. Destroy destroy your life, but it does have to be something that uh, you work on, and it has to be something, or it is going to be something uh, that you can work through, and that it doesn't need to clobber your life, but can just be simply a part of it. Most importantly, what I want to do with this show is to make it a question and answer format. So, uh, uh, in past episodes, I've certainly answered questions from listeners, um, and if you have any questions about um, uh, anxiety, uh, anxiety in general, a specific type of anxiety or uh, uh, OCD or anything related to it, uh, you can go over to the FearCastPodcast.com. You can go to the uh, submit a question link there, um, and you can send me a question. I will read every question, and um, I will eventually. Uh, um, put it on the show. So, on to this episode. So, this episode, I wanted to go over religious scrupulosity. So, um, for those of you who don't know, religious scrupulosity is ultimately um, OCD. Well, it, it's under the umbrella, I suppose, of just scrupulosity, which is under the further umbrella of just OCD. Um, Religious scrupulosity is just one specific manifestation of scrupulosity, which you can think of the word scrupulous. It's someone who cares deeply about the minutia of things. Scrupulosity as a disorder um, is either religious or moral in nature. Um, and uh, today we're just going to be going over the religious aspect of things. So, in this episode, um, I, I, I'm I'm likely to miss information. I'm likely to not include some information. Um, I, I I wish I could add all all the tips and ideas and things that uh, are related to it, but um, this the the episode would just be far far too long. Um, but um, uh, because I, I I have a really strong affinity for this subtype of OCD, um, it's a, a special interest of mine, and um, I. I ultimately just want to get good information out to folks who do need it. So, religious scrupulosity is not specific to any one religious belief, any one religious background, um, but it can ultimately manifest itself in, in any person's faith journey or their faith life or their spirituality. So, scrupulosity can manifest in any religious belief or background. Now, being religious is not necessarily a precursor to having scrupulosity, um, and uh, um, just because you're religious and have OCD does not necessarily mean that you will have scrupulosity. Furthermore, being very, very religious does not mean that you automatically do have scrupulosity or will develop religious scrupulosity. Um, and um, 
and nor does having scrupulosity mean that you have a lack of faith or a a a, a funky or bad faith in whatever uh, uh, religious background you have. Because um, something to remember about this is that religion itself is not the problem with scrupulosity. The problem with scrupulosity is OCD. As a, a blanket rule, OCD is ultimately the problem. It's taking a religious belief. It's taking a religious system that is that is 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 followed by hundreds of thousands or millions of people over thousands of years, perhaps. Um, and the vast majority of people within that religion are able to live their life faithfully by typical rules by typical routines and and rituals the problem is when ocd latches itself onto it uh it, it starts to send it askew it starts to make it uh start to make mountain out of molehills and starts to uh, just make th- ultimately faith not about your connection with god but about the presence or absence of anxiety because when you think about the ultimate goal of treatment for religious scrupulosity, it's it's not to abandon your faith, it's not to make you super spiritual or not to follow a very rigid path, but ultimately, it's to have you be able to live your faith life better. And, and, I, and I don't have a good definition of what that's going to look like for you, but it's ultimately going to be that the purpose of all of it, why you'd be challenging yourself, is so that you can get back to a, a, a faith life that is worth living, that feels, that, that, that feels like it has a, a genuine connection with God. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later on about some of the specifics, just like we talked about with every type of OCD. We're talking about how, uh, what the, the basis of OCD is, and then how scrupulosity or how this manifestation of OCD OCD, this subtype of OCD, uh, presents itself both in the common obsessions, the common compulsions, or some of the common compulsions and obsessions, um, and then what treatment is going to look like with uh, um, cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure and response prevention. We're also going to talk a little bit about mindfulness as well, as as always, perhaps, um, because I, I find mindfulness to be incredibly helpful, uniquely helpful uh, in religious scrupulosity, and I'll, I'll present a little bit uh, why that is uh, a little bit later. I also want to talk about some complications that I find uh, in treating religious scrupulosity, um, because it's not a straightforward OCD treatment. Um, you'll you will certainly hear people talk about how you need to treat scrupulosity exactly the same way as you to treat every other OCD manifestation, and and to a certain degree, I, I do agree with that. However, there, there are going to be some intricacies and nuances that I think can be can be helpful, um, especially for folks who are um, more conservative in their religiosity, uh, or who are um, who who find that doing exposures in a traditional fashion are going to be way too intense. So we'll talk a little bit about why that is. And then I want to give you a couple of tips on how you can help treat this, how you can help get through this. I'm going to give you uh, uh, two tools. Uh, one will be a link on the website, and one uh, we'll talk about here. So before we even get into some of the OCD aspects, I want to just point out that religious scrupulosity is different from general religious doubt. Now, you can certainly have religious doubts while having scrupulosity, um, and genuine religious doubt is not always the same as scrupulosity. 
faith in general and just as a concept is intimately interconnected with doubt and uncertainty. I mean, you can think about it as if it if if we had all the certainty about uh, the afterlife or about God or about the connection we have between other people or any religious or spiritual concept, it wouldn't be called faith. It'd be called proof. It'd be called certainty. We would just know it'd be completely obvious to everybody. But obviously, there's a little bit within this where we're get, where we our, our logic ends and the spirituality begins, and the gap between those two is our faith. So because faith is interconnected with doubt and uncertainty, it seems reasonable to assume that OCD is going to latch on to something that's confusing and uncertain and open to, for interpretation and extremely personal, highly personal. And now, OCD doesn't necessarily have to grab onto our religious faith immediately at the beginning of our faith, nor at the end, nor in the middle. It can kind of surprise us whenever it's going to jump on. As one continues through their faith journey, they're they're going to go through various different stages of uh, of of belief, kind of the the intensity of it, the depth of it, how rigidly they hold on to it, um, kind of how and some some of those steps are going to be how uh, kind of amorphous and and vague faith is, and that's that is one of the legitimate steps of the faith development. Something that. Um, a writer on scrupulosity has pointed out is that there is such a thing called developmental scrupulosity, and now this differs from this differs uh, from just the straight up OCD scrupulosity that we're going to be talking about here. Um, but developmental scrupulosity is going to be very common to people who are new to faith, uh, and it often involves a more rigid and kind of black and white thinking of their beliefs, um, and also a black and white view of the execution of the religious doctrine. Someone who's very brand new is going to hold to a very literal interpretation, likely speaking, that is, um, of, of what they're learning in their faith. And, you know, what religious text they're reading, they're likely to follow it pretty strictly. Now, in, in some ways, this can look like re- uh, religious scrupulosity in that someone is uh, making these big drastic changes in their life, doing things that are, are uh, uncomfortable or causing uh, um, frustrations for themselves or people around them for whatever reason it is. And it's often more as a drive to get closer to God, and there isn't necessarily all there's isn't necessarily at the very beginning this huge anxiety or fear component to it, but it's this kind of dogmatic just drive to try to do it all right. Oftentimes, this fades over time, um, and, and their faith becomes more more kind of gray and nuanced, meaning it doesn't become as as rigid as it was at the very beginning. But again, this is going to differ from religious OCD. So again, what is religious OCD? Well, let's go back to the OCD cycle, as always. So, as we talked about before, everything that you and I are ever going to do is is essentially neutral. It's neither good nor bad, right nor wrong. It just is. So, you and I might experience something, think something, see something, and that might trigger this what-if thought or this if-then sort of proposition. It's this feared story that your brain's going to tell you. Now, the outcome of that you usually don't like, which is then going to cause us anxiety. Now, obviously, you and I would rather feel good than bad, so we're going to do something to try to make ourselves feel good again. That's where our compulsions come in. When we do our compulsions, we feel better, uh, either just the emotionally we feel better or we feel as if that we've made sure that that anxiety story is never going to happen in the way that our brain is present, presenting it to us. So we feel this relief, but it also reinforces that thought. So we go back to strengthening that initial thought that was inherently neutral to start out with. 
So now, next time you experience the very neutral thought or feeling or interaction or ritual for that matter, it might trigger this whole big rigmarole again. So for those with religious scrupulosity, they can be triggered by almost anything. Well, you and I, for any of our anxieties, can be triggered by anything. But specifically for religious scrupulosity, oftentimes they're going to be triggered by uh, simply going to church or going to their synagogue or wherever else their their uh, religious uh, uh, building is. Uh, they they might be triggered by reading the their religious text or seeing icons or images related to their faith. They can be triggered by images of of other people's faith. So, some of the common obsessions within religious scrupulosity can be a fear of a loss of salvation due to sin. Others can be offending God through imperfection, uh, either of action or of attitude, so so not presenting themselves um, at, at an altar with the right state of mind or the right feeling state and feeling that that's offending God, or, pre- or presenting themselves in prayer and not being fully prepared for it. Um, another obsession can be uh, the fear of just never having been saved. Another can be, and this is a common one that, uh, that, that I hear people talk about, it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Another can be neglecting to follow the guidance of God, so hearing the voice of God and not feeling like you've, you've followed it correctly or accurately. One can worry about not following the kosher or other food laws correctly. So, uh, being wildly obsessed about whether or not they they mixed uh, two types of foods uh, or or didn't wash their hands or the items or the implements correctly between the two, and therefore offending God. Another can be not feeling connected to God. And you know how I feel about feelings, and it's it's uh, that we feel too much and we give too much credit to the feelings that we have. So, uh, oftentimes people in religious scrupulosity will not feel that connection with God and they will obsess upon that. Others will question their past intentions when they were doing something. When they were doing something, they'll think about whether or not they, they came at it with the right mindset. They came at it with the right heart, something to that effect. Two more. Uh, sexual thoughts or images uh, about religious people, characters, uh, this is also very This is very common. And, and lastly, another common one is simply having intrusive thoughts of a blasphemous nature. Now, this is intentionally vague because it's either typically considered blasphemous or the person believes it is blasphemous. So, either way, they feel like they are offending God. Now, as a side note, one way to think about religious scrupulosity is ultimately, it, religious scrupulosity or scrupulosity in general is a very elaborate harm OCD. But the person is afraid not of physically harming somebody, but afra- afraid of harming God or harming God's feelings or harming the connection between yourself and God. So, I don't know if that's helpful in your recovery, but you can think about it as, what are you afraid of in terms of harming And what are you doing to try to prevent this harm from happening? Now, which brings us to common compulsions. Some common compulsions in religious scrupulosity are going to be are going to be repetitive prayers compared with others within the same faith tradition. Now, sometimes within a religious tradition, there will be inherently repeated prayers or repeated prayers to a certain number or repeated prayers to in a certain fashion. Someone with a religious group is going to be doing them to an excessive amount uh, to the point where it's 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 no longer considered religiously typical, and is also going to be uh, pulling them away from a genuine connection. But but again, it's, it's this fight with this discomfort. 
Another compulsion will be rereading texts for full understanding, repeating prayers just perfectly or just right, either saying it just right or getting to a just right feeling is very common. Um, also, re- similarly, repeating religious rituals just right or to a just right feeling is very common. Mentally reviewing one's emotional state in the present or with previous behaviors, again, trying to make sure that their intentions were right, but they'll think about and ruminate about how they felt and how they likely would have felt, things like that. Um, can be asking religious authorities, pastors, priests, rabbis, imams, etc., asking them the same questions or similar questions um, about their understanding of a verse or a concept. Also, asking whether or not they've sinned or whether or not X, Y, or Z is in fact a sin, but asking that question over and over and over again. Lastly, and this is also incredibly common and also one of the first ways that they identified religious scrupulosity, which was going to confession repeatedly. And also, this can also happen uh, both formally and informally, meaning one of the compulsions can be confessing to a friend, uh, um, and it can just sound like, hey, you know, I totally did this, which doesn't sound like straightforward confession, but it's ultimately being used as confession. So, typically, treatment for all OCD is going to be cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure and response prevention. I don't think we should be messing with any of this uh, uh, structure. So, of course, we're going to be treating this with CBT and exposure and response prevention, too. Now, one thing that we do first with uh, treating religious group, just like with any others, is to do some cognitive restructuring, ultimately to be challenging the thoughts that are leading to the behaviors. Because ultimately, you can think about um, one is having an interpretation of their faith or interpretation of a specific scripture that is leading them to this behavior. It's also an interpretation, uh, and that interpretation, by the way, isn't necessarily the straightforward, I just have bad theology sort of thing, but is an OCD-fused, distorted way to view the way that God works within that religious tradition or what that verse actually means, which is then again leading to this behavior. Now, cognitive restructuring within Scroop, I think, is is actually should be come at a little differently because we're not trying to find the right way to think about this. We're not trying to find, um, and we're not trying to do what's called corrective theology, which is trying to give this person the right way to view God or the facts related to God. Because this puts a therapist into a pretty dicey position. It kind of puts a therapist into the position about being a pastor or being a priest or being uh, their religious authority, which makes them not their therapist. Now, full transparency, um, I'm a person of faith uh, myself. Uh, I'm a Christian. I go to a local church uh, here in Fullerton. And um, uh, But one thing I make incredibly clear is I'm not a Christian therapist. I'm a therapist that happens to be Christian. Now, there is a, a fine line between those, but I think it's the, the, the world of difference for the treatment of, of, of Scroop. One of the reasons is I'm not trying to do corrective theology with this person. I, I will hear clients coming to me about who have gone to uh, a specific religious counselors or lay counselors or someone within their church, and really they had just come at them with, well, have you prayed more? Have you done this specific ritual correctly? Um, or they just say, oh, here's how you're supposed to do this ritual. The person who's coming to a therapist for a, a religious matter probably is, or not probably, they know exactly what the ritual is, how it's done, and they know probably more about theology than the, the person they're going to. So, it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of ultimately facing that fear, which again, we'll, we'll get into some of that when we talk about exposures and some of the um, eccentricities of Scroop. But 
when someone's coming to me, I'm not trying to correct their theology or trying to tell them to have the same beliefs that I do or the same interpretations as I do or hold things loosely in certain ways as I will. It's it's not up to me. It's about them and trying to find a better way for them to live their faith life because they came to me for this reason. Something's not working. So, we want to try to figure out a better way for them to be doing their faith. Surely, within their religious faith, there has to be a reasonable way to do it. Again, there are hundreds of thousands or millions of other people being able to do it in a reasonable way. So, again, I think that's that's a, a, a big caveat, which sidetracked us a little bit, so let's get back on track. So, within cognitive restructuring, um, it can be helpful, at least in part, to go over some of the religious thoughts that they have. It can be go, you can go into, and I think it's helpful to look at what your view of God is. How, how um, quick to punishing is your view of God? What is the traditional view of God within your religious tradition? Um, what is the belief of sin? How does that work? What does, and looking at some of the specific verses uh, that they're, they're talking about. One of the things that I love to do, which bugs a lot of people, is when they say, hey, Kevin, I'm really worried about this, or this is what I believe about X, Y, or Z. I say, great. Where's the verse that talks about that? Because if, there is, if they're saying that, that their religious tradition specifies this, or they have to do it in this way because of X, Y, or Z, great. Let's find where that is. Because, again, someone has written about this, talked about this, thought about this before, or there's been thousands of years of tradition of this, so let's talk about it. And let's try to find a more reasonable way to live your faith in a typical manner, live your faith in a way that is um, uh, comfortable and also doesn't, doesn't ultimately make you unhappy. Now, ultimately, doesn't detract from the happiness in your life or detract from, um, from the... the, the the meaningfulness that religion can give you. Now, all of this can quickly become very, very compulsive because, again, the person who's coming to see me, if you are listening to this and you are experiencing religious scrupulosity, I know that you have thought about these concepts a gazillion times. But the point is, isn't the point of it isn't to try to get to a place of full understanding, but is to uh, get to a, a more reasonable way to view these things and to to be able to to step back a little bit uh, from the the, the rigid the rigid view that you might be holding and trying to viewing it try to view these beliefs slightly differently or view them more broadly and to see if you can hold that thought a little bit more loosely and have a little bit more grace within that thought and within that interpretation of uh, of again the verse the concept the action the sin whatever it is I think a good way to start challenging these thoughts is is to start taking a step back by thinking what is what is the the rational, logical, reasonable person within my faith? Uh, what, what do they think about this concept or idea? And what I'll do is I'll, I'll talk with someone about um, who their uh, who in their in their uh, congregation or, or or their their religious group um, do they trust. Who do they think is pretty reasonable, pretty down to earth, and 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 also very knowledgeable um, about about their faith? And I'll ask them, well, what does that person think about this concept? And I'll get their answer, and they say, okay, well, great, let's go forward with that concept. What's stopping you from functionally living this out? And oftentimes they'll say they'll or they'll cite this other thought they'll have or this kind of uh, I, really it's where their feared story comes in. It's either a misinterpretation of that concept or it comes down to this feeling that they have, which leads to their compulsive behaviors. 
If you're working with a therapist who doesn't know a whole lot about religious scrupulosity, uh, you may want to have a chat with them about what compulsions are and, and reassurance seeking. Because the cognitive restructuring within religious scrupulosity can become, as I said, very compulsive. Uh, it can be uh, it, it can be a very quick, slippery slope to getting into you know the very interesting but very but ultimately unhelpful conversation about faith, about your faith, and about how how it all works and. And by having these conversations over and over and over again, it stops you from embracing it, stops you from actually doing uh, doing exposures and ultimately getting better because, again, you're just going back through the same thing that you've always done. So really, it's going to be helpful. And sometimes when I'm working with someone, we'll spend some time in cognitive restructuring and then we're going to quickly get out of it. Um, and ultimately get to exposures as quickly as possible, but as quickly as reasonably possible. Because again, I want someone to have a reasonable understanding of of what their faith actually is, and then to be able to take that leap of faith and do exposures. So, exposures, as we've talked about, are going to be progressively getting closer and closer to what your fear is while resisting doing any compulsions or doing anything that would ultimately undo or minimize or avoid the anxiety that's going to result from this. We've talked about this before. OCD isn't a thought problem necessarily. It's a feeling problem. It's an incredible discomfort with a thought or an unwillingness to feel simply uncomfortable or that, you know, and I'll say uncomfortable. It, it, it can be incredibly painful. I don't want to try to minimize this, but it's not really going to be this thought problem. Though again, there can be some of this, but you and I can oftentimes sit there and, and, and rationalize our way out of our fears and say why it doesn't make sense or why uh, it shouldn't be this way. But ultimately, your gut is saying it is this way. So, we're trying to ultimately get used to that feeling that comes from it. So, in developing your hierarchy for for further exposures, it can also be really helpful to include a religious leader in this and to talk with them about possible exposures. Oftentimes, for folks with scrupulosity, there's a misinterpretation of what is sinful and what is not sinful. Um, oftentimes, there, there's a, more of a application to say that X, Y, or Z is a sin as opposed to saying X, Y, or Z is not a sin. So, more things are sinful, so therefore, I need to avoid all, uh, more things or to apologize for more things. So, including a religious leader can be incredibly helpful to ultimately take the list of exposures that you have or the list of uh, fears that you have to go to a, a pastor, a priest, an imam, a, a, a rabbi, who, whoever it may be, again, that you trust, who you feel has a really good grasp of the faith, um, and also say knows about OCD and uh Talk with them about that. Uh, there, are, there are going to be a number of articles online about scrupulosity. Take one of them in, have them read it, and then hand them this list and talk about what of those things are genuine, is genuine blasphemy, is genuine sin, is genuinely a problem. And you can take those and kind of check those and talk about those with your therapist. If they say those things are, are, are genuinely blasphemous, talk with them with your talk about them with your therapist and talk about them with your priest or your pastor again and talk about whether or not that's something that that you do need to do or do you need to engage for progress so again yes this can of course be reassuring but and is not going to be applicable to all clients however it can be a helpful step Remember, the goal is to ultimately face your fears and to act within your religious background or a religious faith as the typical person within your church or religious community. 
So some examples of, of, uh, of exposures for religious scrupulosity can be praying in a specific manner. It can be praying a specific prayer imperfectly. It can be reading the Bible without going back to reread or to fully understand. It can be deliberately holding an unwanted image in mind, and this can be often, again, sexual, it can be blasphemous, it can be vulgar. And again, holding this image in mind while looking at a sacred object or an image or, or simply just being in church. Another can be engaging in a religious service without forcing a connected or otherwise spiritual feeling. So ultimately, sitting in church and feeling what you feel, whether or not it's connection, whether it's anxiety, whether it's arousal, sexual arousal, whether it's, it's nothing, but sitting there and being open to whatever it is that you feel. Another can be scripting, actually offending God, and, and receiving whatever punishment uh, uh, comes from that type of, of, of offense. Two more, saying feared words repeatedly until habituation. So some of these can be repeating the word blasphemy, reject, Satan, any of these words that, that trigger that anxiety, just repeating those words over and over and over again. Uh, lastly, it can be wearing clothing or symbols. Um, or simply being in the presence of images of other religions. Now, this can be triggering for a very specific type of person, but ultimately, it's think about what it is that makes you nervous or makes you so scared in this, and think about facing that fear. Now, if you're listening to this and you're feeling really nervous, it's completely understandable. All of this is very nerve-wracking to a lot of people. And what I find in working with uh, with scrupulosity, again, is that folks— well. What I find is someone's faith is so personal to who they are. If you have a high degree of religiosity, your religious beliefs are are dovetailed into who you are. It's just it's just integral into who it is that we are and and, and our worldview, our outlook on life. So by doing something that feels like it's offending God, it's 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 damaging this this connection that is the most important thing in your life. So, of course, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Of course, it's going to feel like it's the last thing that you want to do, which, again, makes OCD just crave it more, just want it more. Now, in the process of treating uh, uh, Scroop using ERP, there are going to be a number of things that are great exposures, but are also terrible, terrible ideas, things that you really don't need to do in order to get better. Um, I'm going to include on our website uh, or on on the FearCast website uh, a a link to something that uh, Dr. Ted Witzik had put together. He and I presented um, at the IOCDF conference uh, a number of years ago on religiously sensitive uh, exposures and uh, or developing religiously sensitive exposures and kind of to the idea that that some folks who actually do take their faith seriously don't want to do genuinely blasphemous things. Now, doing blasphemous things from a strictly ERP perspective is a fantastic idea and would ultimately be, from a textbook perspective or an algorithm perspective, the right thing to do. However, if you do take religious faith seriously, there are going to be some things that someone is just simply unwilling to do. And ultimately, I don't think that you have to do all of those things in order to see very noticeable progress. So, um, he includes some things in there, for example, uh, just a couple ideas. One is that um, if if you have... If you have a sexually related obsession within your scrupulosity, you ultimately don't have to watch pornography or you don't have to expose yourself to explicitly sexual images in order to, to make progress. 
Another example is you don't have to do anything that would be blasphemous to your religious text. You don't have to tear pages out. You don't have to rip it. You don't have to burn it. You don't have to throw it out. You don't have to desecrate it in any sort of fashion in order to make progress. Now, from a, again, from a strictly ERP perspective, is, a, is it a fantastic idea? Of course it is. But I would never ask any of my religious clients to do this because I think that would be ridiculous and also disrespectful in a certain degree. So, um, I'll encourage you to go check out that that link, and I'll, I'll include that uh, on the uh, episode page. Some folks within religious scrupulosity have a tough time really embracing or really engaging in ERP, um, oftentimes because their religious beliefs are so egocentric in nature. It's, it is, it's so personal. So while they do have a lot of fear and resistance to actively engaging or doing the feared action, um, the person who's going through this process will need to ultimately be able to interact with the world around them and engage in their religious services or religious activities like the average person within their faith community. Now, again, in that handout from Dr. Witzik, um, he talks about the 80-20 rule. It might be 85-20, 85-15. I think it's 80-20. Either way, um, it's, to act, it's to act like 80% of the people within your religious community. They're going to be 20%. They're going to do things much more or much less. But we're looking to be just the average person within this. So this is, I think, where mindfulness and acceptance can really come into play. As we've talked about mindfulness before, what we're trying to do is to simply be present with what's happening right now. It's not to say to get sucked into the future or get way into the past, but it's to say, I'm going to accept and acknowledge everything that is happening right now for all the good and for all the bad that may be happening right now. And it's also not what I'd like it to be and not what it should be, but it's what it is in this moment. For those using mindfulness within Scroop treatment, some, some folks will tend to believe that you have to be accepting of the reality of the feared story. Whereas what we're trying to do isn't necessarily to accept the reality that, that what we're fearing is going to happen, but we're being accepting and acknowledging of the present-based emotion and physical response to that thought or that action. So, as an example, for a Christian person, you don't need to be okay with the reality of losing your salvation or going to hell or no longer fearing Satan or offending God, but you do have to be tolerant of the thought or the feeling without engaging in the compulsions. So again, you don't have to ultimately be like, yeah, I'm totally fine going to hell. I'm totally fine um, completely disrespecting God. That's not what we're trying to say. We're trying to say is that in this moment, you have this thought that you're disrespecting God. We have to be tolerant of the fact that you have this thought because you may or may not actually be offending God, but again, that's not our job. It is our job to be tolerant of what we're experiencing and the thoughts that we're having. Now, to do all of this is obviously easier said than done, and it requires a lot of willingness to give yourself the permission to be present within that thought and that feeling, uh, to resist doing anything that would ultimately undermine that, help you to ignore that, to undo it uh, through prayer or, or uh, 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 thought suppression or things like that but to simply be willing to experience that anxiety. Because again, you can think about it as if, you're, if you are tolerating this thought, it can sometimes feel like you are right now doing the worst possible thing that you could imagine. 
but just as a way to get started in treatment, we certainly don't have to embrace it as if we want it to happen or that it is happening or that it should happen, but that right now you're having a thought and you're having a feeling that we do need to tolerate that experience. One element of this, of course, that, that someone will have to consider is whether or not their religious tradition does or does not believe that thoughts by themselves are sinful. Now, there are going to be a few religious uh, uh, um, traditions out there and some uh, kind of uh, uh, denominations or subtypes of those that are going to have different beliefs on this, but I'd encourage you, and this would this would fit within the cognitive restructuring piece, but to consider whether or not, and actually talk with your pastor about this, or your priest, or your rabbi, or your mom, about whether or not that your religious tradition actually believes the thoughts themselves are sinful. Now, further further questions to this I would ask would be, does God know that you have OCD? Does God know what OCD is? Does God know what CBT and exposure and response prevention is? In other words, are we pulling a fast one on God? Does it does God not know what we're doing right now within treatment? Does God not know what we're talking about on this podcast? I can imagine that God ultimately would like you to be happy and to be fully engaged within your religious tradition and to seek that connection between you and God as best you possibly can. I can't imagine that God is just saying, oh good, I'm glad he's having these thoughts that he can't get rid of, that he can't suppress, that he can't turn into something else. Um, That makes me incredibly happy. That just doesn't sound like uh, my understanding of who God is. So some of the main issues in treatment with scrupulosity that can ultimately make it difficult to make progress um, is, again, just in the fact that uh, that religion to a lot of folks is very egocentric. Um, and it's so central to who they are. So, for some, they're going to be very ready to get on board with exposures, and they're going to be able to go for it, um, and they're not going to need a lot of work on the front end with cognitive restructuring and, and building that ground, the, 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 the foundation for jumping into exposures. However, for some who are more religious or who have more uh, rigid uh, uh, obsessions, they are going to require some special care and some slowing things down, which is where things, uh, which is where it differs from just straight up OCD, you will need to, or you may need to get into dealing with some, some of the details of their religious beliefs. You might need to uh, work with your therapist on some of these thoughts and kind of working through this, but again, being willing to think about things a little bit more openly, a little bit differently. And for this reason, then treatment can take a little bit longer than just standard OCD. Now, lastly, I wanted to talk about ultimately motivation, meaning your motivation to get better, your motivation to engage in this process. Now, your progress is ultimately going to come down to how much work you're willing to do and how much you're willing to sacrifice to your OCD or not. Because ultimately, as I've said before, no one comes to me because everything's fine. No one goes to see a therapist because everything's going just great. Obviously, something's not working within the way that you're experiencing your religious tradition and the way that you're experiencing your thoughts and feelings. So, obviously, something different needs to happen. But again, thinking about the motivation, think about why it is that you're doing this, uh, because you're going to go to a therapist and you're going to hear me yammer on about how, uh, how we're going to be ultimately doing things that right now you feel like are blasphemous or will result in loss of salvation, going to hell, things of that nature, terrible things, stuff that you ultimately don't want. 
Now, if you're okay with the amount of compulsions, the limitations on your social and occupational relationship life, and the amount of time it takes to read, to reread, or to redo a religious ritual, if you're okay with the limitations that, that OCD has placed on your life via your religious beliefs, um, then you don't really have a whole lot of motivation to try to change or to try to do anything differently. In the process of doing exposures, again, we're, we're, we want to be thinking about that we're trying to embrace that feeling and we're going to be doing things that are trying to embrace that feeling. I would encourage you that you resist trying to justify your compulsions uh, in in any sort of way because you obviously are you, you are listening to this. If you are listening to this, you're you, and you do experience religious scrupulosity. You, you see how other people are living their faith, and you see how other people, or you've heard what the pastors have said or priests have said about X, Y, or Z, and um, and you you would like to do it that way, but your OCD says, no, you can't because you have this special thought, this special, uh, um, or ultimately the rules don't apply to you. You have these special rules that you have to act in a certain way. But unless you're 100% certain or 100% happy with how things are going, I'd encourage you to challenge yourself and to try something different, to try taking a risk within all of this. Even if you're doubting just a little bit, Perhaps you can try to trust God that God knows what's going on. God knows what you're doing, why you're doing it, and that ultimately you can trust that that this will be okay or that it will likely be okay at the end of this. Now, one structure that I want to just place in this for, for everyone out there listening is, is actually pulled from Ian Osborne's book called Can Christianity Cure My OCD? Now, I think that this the structure ultimately that he provides in how to approach cognitive behavioral therapy can be incredibly helpful. And this is just for anybody uh, uh, across the faith spectrum, so not just folks who are uh, Christian or Catholic or any sort of other flavor in that. And so ultimately, uh, first off, if you're looking for a great book on uh, on scrupulosity, um, Can Christianity Cure My Obsessive Compulsive Disorder is going to be a great resource. Uh, the Doubting Disease is also going to be a, a great book. If you are Catholic specifically, um, and I suppose uh, if you are a Christian as well, um, finding Scrupulous Anonymous, they're, they're a, um, an, on, an online newsletter. I think you can get them sent to you as well. But it's, an, it's a newsletter that, uh, that answers questions from folks um, about scrupulous issues um, and about religious issues. And it's a fantastic resource. And they've also produced a book with a number of questions that they've gone over uh, in, in, in the, you know, the past several decades. And it's called Understanding Scrupulosity. That will also be a very, very good resource for you. Um, but uh, going back to Ian Osborne's book, um, so his three steps, I think, can be incredibly important. So step one is going to be recognizing that the thought that you're having right now is OCD. So again, you've gone down this path before. You've experienced this thought a gazillion times before. This is not new to you. You've seen this movie before. So instead of arguing with it again, instead acknowledge that this is your OCD. It's the same sort of thought you've had a gazillion times before. So saying, you know what, likely speaking, this is my OCD thought. So once you do that, sending the second step is then deferring the responsibility of sin or of offense to God. Now, this is such an important step here. And it's brilliant, but ultimately it's saying, instead of you being the person who's deciding that you are offending God or deciding that you are the one doing this horrible sin, instead, transfer that over to God. 
Maybe like God, do God's stuff. And God's stuff is deciding what is and is not sin, not us. Ultimately, you can think about God is the one who will be offended. It's up to God whether or not he's actually offended or not. You can think about it this way. You could come up to me and you could say horrific things to me, uh, terrible things that may or may not be true about me, make accusations about me, uh, trying to hurt my feelings. But ultimately, it's up to me whether or not I'm offended, not you. If you're trying to hurt my feelings, you could say all you want, but it might not hurt my feelings. Similarly, you could say something accidentally that you might think will hurt my feelings, But again, it will still come down to whether or not I'm going to take offense and then whether or not I am going to take action on that offense. Now, that is God's job, not ours to police ourselves. Likely speaking, the person with religious group is taking that responsibility upon themselves. One of the common cognitive distortions that comes down with this is hyper-responsibility, meaning is taking responsibility that isn't ours upon our own shoulders and making a decision when we don't need to. This is especially the case with scrupulosity. So, within that, it's to say, uh, God is going to be the one who decides whether or not he's offended with my action right now, with whether or not my, my exposure is genuinely blasphemous or genuinely wrong. But again, re- realizing or reminding yourself, God knows what OCD is, what exposure and response prevention is, and all of that. So, and ultimately, again, does God ultimately would like you to be happy and fulfilled and to be able to pursue that relationship fully without being bogged down by anxiety, without, being, without uh, anxiety being the proxy for whether or not, or without anxiety being the benchmark for whether or not you are genuinely connected within that relationship. Now, the last step. So, the first one, recognizing this is OCD. Step two, sending or, or deferring that responsibility for sin over to God. And step three is to, to, make a, to, to make the leap of faith, to step out in faith, and do the exposure. Again, ultimately, you can do all of your exposures as acts of faith, recognizing that you know that God knows what's going on. You know that God is forgiving. You know that God knows what you're about, knows what this process is, and you're trusting that, not the ridiculous voice of OCD that's telling you you're always going to be condemned. So, you can take each and every one of those exposures. You can say the prayer incorrectly. You can think those thoughts, hold those thoughts in uh, uh, in church. You can uh, uh, resist confessing. You can actually do something that um, you can turn your Bible upside down. You can th- you do your exposure, have that thought, and you can do it in faith that God knows what you're doing. If you want more information about that, and by the way, all of that summation is in like 10 pages of his book. Um, There's a whole bunch more information in that book that I would encourage you to look up if you're so interested. So, obviously, I I probably missed a whole bunch of information, but again, if I... If I include everything that I'm thinking of, um, this episode would be 14 hours long. So, thank you so much for making it through this episode. All right, everybody, we made it through that episode, uh, through the scrupulosity episode. Uh, Thank you so much for those of you who hung out all the way through to the very end. Um, As always, if you have questions um, about the uh, the information that I mentioned uh, in this episode or want to add something or have any specific questions you'd like me to answer in a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go to the the, uh, submit a question link, and you can go ahead and ask a question there. 
as just a reminder, if you like the episode, if you like the Fearcast, uh, go over to iTunes or wherever else that you get your podcasts and, and uh, give us a rating, give us a little review. Uh, I would greatly appreciate that. Uh, really just helps other people to find the episodes and find this, uh, this information uh, as you have. So, um, Thank you to all my listeners out there. Um, so again, um, FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have any questions about uh, getting into therapy or need a little help in your recovery, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Click on the Find Help link, um, and you'll be able to uh, get connected uh, uh, with some information there. Uh, and everybody, as always, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.